Welcome to our podcast, All About the Car, brought to you by Sherrill Tire and Service. I'm your host, Rob Hoffman, an auto service specialist with over 44 years of industry experience. With me in the studio today, our regular guest, Brian Call, a 38-year veteran in the automotive industry. Hey, Rob. Thank you so much for having me ride along today. And Bill Sherrill, a guy who's been driving a long time and has a lot of great questions. Hi, Rob. Glad to be part of the drive today. Today we're talking about routine maintenance. Yes, that's routine maintenance on your car, car or truck. You know, maintenance has been around a long, long time, ever since parts have been moving in a consistent manner. And I'm going to dial way, way back here, way back in the horse and buggy and wagon days where they would re-grease the leather bearings and adjust the shoe on the horse. Rob. How do you adjust a horseshoe? With a hammer. Okay. <laughs> or you just replace it. <laughs> or just replace it with different a new configuration shoe. Yeah. that gives a little bit more of a toe out, toe in. Right. That's for your farrier, right? Well, back in the day, I think they used to do their own. So oh, if you were a see? horse owner, you knew how to do that. It's more of a specialty thing these days. Okay. So these things would be considered maintenance, really, back totally. in the day. Mm-hmm. So we're going to just bump forward just a little bit. And right at the end of the 19th century, 30 American manufacturers had produced 2,500 motor vehicles. And I'm not talking about horses and wagons and buggies. I'm talking about horseless carriages. Only 2,500 of them. 2,500 total, but Mm -hmm. good chance with the sparse population of those days, good chance you're going to see one. You're going to wonder, what the heck is that? Right. It's not being pulled by anything, and it makes a lot of noise and stinks. Within the next decade, some 485 companies entered the business. So 485 additional companies actually started making motor vehicles. Now that's seeing an opportunity and starting to make an industry. Absolutely. And what really happened there is it allowed the population to start moving around and getting further. So then, of course, roads and everything else started to come around. But it created a new problem. Well, it created a lot of problems, actually, in the beginning. But the new problem was who and how would this new idea be maintained and repaired? That was the big question. Many of the early repair people were bicycle mechanics. And that's really where this all came from. So with auto sales jumping 166% in three years, so between 1900 and 1903, the need for special skills to keep them running became crucial. A guy named Frank Spear, the education director of the Young Men's Christian Association. Rob. Who is that? That's the the village people, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually the YMCA. And we're talking about 1903 here. Opened up an automotive school for mechanics, chauffeurs, and lady automobilists. Do you know where that school was located? That was in Massachusetts. Wow, that's pretty cool. Let's fast forward to uh, current days. What's really going to matter to us in this conversation today, what does automotive maintenance look like today? Obviously, it's not greasing the leather or adjusting the horseshoe, but what does it look like? I mean, cars and transportation has really evolved. The demands and technology has taken our cars to a whole new level. So is maintenance, Brian, is maintenance the same as repair? Let's just try to get things organized in our mind here. Maintenance is different than repair. Maintenance is a regular service that is required for your vehicle, 
and are performed while the vehicle is functioning properly, which in the long term will prevent the vehicle from breaking down or leaving you stranded somewhere. So what I'm hearing you say, Brian, is maintenance is just kind of what it says, maintaining the condition of a part or your car, so to say, to help to eliminate a breakdown. Yep, to prevent problems in the future. Maintenance sounds to me like a choice. Like I can maintain it or not maintain it. And if it breaks down, my maintenance choice goes away. I have to fix it. That's a good way of looking at it. Reminds me of a story way back when, when I first started in the industry. Gentleman brought his car in because his oil light was flickering. And after we dug into it, we found that he had not changed his oil in 25,000 miles back in the 80s. And it totally ruined the engine. That's an extreme example of not doing maintenance. Was there any oil left in that car? Yeah, it was just like mud. It was a thick mud. It was a thick (laughs) mud. So that's an example of lack of maintenance. That is a true example of that. I want to back up just a hair here. I talked about the demands and technology has really changed and evolved over the years too. And, And one of the bigger things that's happened in the last, probably not way off here, but in the last 30 years is technology. So electronics. How does electronics play into maintenance? Is there any correlation there at all? Oh, absolutely. Dialing it back into the mid-80s, the federal government came out with what's called CAFE, Corporate Average Fuel Economy. And with that, the automakers were forced to increase the miles per gallon that the vehicle performed at. And in doing so, the only way they could do it was with technology, using a computer to control timing, to control fuel delivery. In what came of that is cars that developed significantly more power and delivered better fuel economy and better emissions out the tailpipe. So the technology is what got us to this point, but it was because the government wanted the fuel economy to increase thus reducing emissions. Technology really has played a big part in all of this. Oh, it's huge. You go from variable cam timing to actually having certain amount of cylinders not running when you're cruising down the highway to the transmission, electronically shifting it, and it just goes on and on and on. And some of that has reduced my ability to maintain my own car because I don't have access to the computers, right? As far as routine maintenance, you can still do it. Sometimes the oil filter's a little tough to get to. Sometimes the drain plug's a little tough to get to. But to actually perform the basic service is still doable. But once you get into the electronics that you're talking about, no, there's not much that that DIYer can do. What's really interesting here, too, is really putting things into perspective. You had dialed back to about, oh, the 1970s or so. And I remember back in my earlier days of driving, when your car reached 100,000 miles, it was pretty, you figured that was about it. Was, it was junk. The motor was, the was wore out. And today, what's that new number? Oh, goodness. We see cars every day, 150, 200, 300,000. The most I can remember in recent history, it was almost 750,000 miles on a vehicle with the same engine. So pretty safe to say that vehicle didn't make it that far without maintenance. Maintenance was key to it. Maintenance was key, absolutely. Let's move forward with routine maintenance schedules. There's a lot of different theories on what schedule you should follow, what's the best way to maintain your vehicle. Most people want to do the best they can for their car. It's a big investment. Car and pickup trucks these days, you're going to spend $50,000, dollars 
what is the best way that you can take care of them. But there seems to be a lot of different opinions on what schedule to follow. One of the schedules that I've always felt pretty strongly about is the owner's manual. And that's the little book that comes in your glove box that you get when you get a new car. Quite frankly, you buy a used car, there should be one there as well. You got to take it out of the plastic and actually open it up. You mean you actually have to read it? You have to read it. Oh or gosh. you could Google it. Could Google the owner's manual. Right. Okay, I'm sure so it's if online. You buy a used car and it's not in there. There's an owner's manual for every part that you can ever imagine. I haven't run into something I haven't been able to Google on how to use it or find some type of owner's manual. So Google is your friend. It for can sure. be, yes. Why are there different schedules? Within that owner's manual, there are going to be two distinct schedules. One is a regular, normal driving interval, and then there's going to be one with severe service. In our climate, I would typically recommend somebody to follow the severe service because most of our driving is short trips. The car gets warmed up and we're to our destination. If you're a person that drives two, three, four hundred miles a day, that totally changes how the vehicle operates, how the fluids all work with the engine, and you can stretch out those intervals to the normal service more readily. So you're saying if I drive longer, the car is going to function and I need less maintenance. Correct. Because the engine is up to operating temperature, everything is flowing like it's designed to, where if you do the short trips, most people would live within 10, 15 miles of their place of employment, and the car is probably just getting up to operating temperature at that point. So it's now starting to function like it should, and then we're shutting it right off. Some other conditions in our neck of the woods, if you will, that would qualify as a severe service vehicle? The biggest thing is the temperature changes. I mean, we go minus 20, minus 30 degrees up to 100, 110 degrees. And then you start throwing the road heat on and traffic and all of that. It's some pretty severe environments that we drive in here. Oh, you think about all the things we put our cars through. I mean, when you start to talk like this, it's absolutely amazing that we hop in them at these different temperatures, different times, short trips, accelerate off the stoplights, whatever the case may be. And we really rely on our vehicles. And one of the worst cars you can buy is the one owner grandma that drives it to church on Sunday and has 20,000 miles on her car and it's 15 years old. When most of us thought that was the one to buy. Yep, exactly. So what I'm gathering then, if we're in the severe service category or should consider that, maintenance costs might run a little bit higher for us up here versus where would be a non-severe area, maybe Illinois? I don't know that there is. You start getting to the south and you've got much higher heat and humidities, or you get to the southwest where the heat is even higher. No humidity, but... I guess the coast would bring in salt air on top of the humidity. Yep. Corrosive. Like you said, we put our cars through a lot, and routine maintenance is pretty darn cheap. You really think about it. And you mentioned that the vehicle manufacturer's owner's manual will have typically the both service levels in that book. Yep. Everyone that I've ever seen has had both. And it goes into describing it more, the type of driving that you're doing. So really read up on what severe service is for your car. Is there also a car care council or something like that that has schedules? There's an industry group called MAP, Motor Assurance Program, consists of car manufacturers and parts manufacturers and other industry experts that get together and determine what's the best 
to take care of and maintain your car. And it covers everything from headlights to hitches. This should be maintained because of longevity and routine maintenance that we're talking about. We suggest replacing it to prevent further problems down the road or it's broken or not functioning and is required to be replaced at this point. So if you're in doubt and want to do that, go out to MAP or Motorist Assurance Program to get further information. It sounds like this is a, a program to help standardize maintenance and inspections. Absolutely. So then those are all resources. But also, at times, doesn't my car tell me that? I mean, a light will go on in the dash, a maintenance light? Yes. Many cars now have maintenance required or a maintenance light that comes on to indicate that you should get your car in and get the routine maintenance done. And those things are very accurate. They measure what I talked about earlier with how long the car has been driving Did it get up to operating temperature? How many short trips or long trips are you taking? And it actually calculates that to let you know that you should get the maintenance done sooner or when it's due. In addition to that, Brian, the Car Care Council has actually posted online a general vehicle service schedule. In other words, I would assume that's a generalization across all manufacturers. What's your thoughts on that? It looks like a pretty good list based on different mileage levels. It's a great list. One of the challenges with the maintenance schedules that may be listed in your particular owner's manual, it may not be there. It may not tell you that you should be doing this service because the car company is trying to drive down the cost of maintenance. But when you get into their service department, they're going to recommend much closer to the car care council maintenance schedule. There's other manufacturers that are very proactive and want you to do all of these various services to maintain that car and have the longevity of it. So it's two different schools of thought as to how they're designing the maintenance schedules. So the general vehicle service schedule that we're referring to by the Car Care Council may be more of a refined schedule. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, absolutely. And actually, we have that as a link you can visit at allaboutthecarpodcast.com. So make sure you check that out. It is actually a really good list to go by, and it sounds like it's a list or a schedule that many maintenance facilities will use. Some other ideas, too, that had come up when I was doing some research on this is maintenance that's recommended based off of inspection. So kind of put this in perspective for us. We're in for an oil change, and we're getting our 30-point inspection or whatever the case may be, checking the fluids, and we see a fluid that is maybe a dark color or looks dirty, smells dirty, whatever the case may be. How does this play into the whole theory on scheduled maintenance? What's happened there? Why did it get to that point? Depends on the fluid that we're looking at. Brake fluid is hydroscopic, so it's absorbing moisture from the atmosphere, and that needs to be changed out so that we don't have a brake failure. You get into the transmission fluid, which that gets a little harder to actually look at the color because many of them use synthetic fluid now, which is upwards of 100,000 miles before most manufacturers recommending servicing it. So it is going to discolor. It's not alarming. It's the clutch material that's getting suspended in the fluid. And as long as we're changing it on a regular mileage interval, I don't worry quite as much about the color, but it is something that I'll look at to determine if services been performed 
as an indicator that we may need to do something. It may be a reminder that probably should get that done. Should check our schedules, see when we've had it performed the last time, or if we're due in the near future, and then you can budget for it. Now, Bill had brought up earlier about the onboard maintenance reminder systems, the lights, the little light that comes on and says, maintain your, whatever the case may be, what is the light that usually comes on for the maintenance? Maintenance. Maintenance is usually- or something like yeah. that, or maintenance. How is that different than the other light that comes on, the check engine light? I think there's a check engine light, a service engine soon. There's some little pictures. How does that differ from the maintenance light? That's actually looking at the computer. The computer is looking at all the various components that it controls to let us know if there's a system failure. If we have an emissions failure, if we have a misfire going on, that's actually telling us if something is not functioning the way it should. The CEL check engine light, a couple of different examples of that. So that would be an example of maintenance versus repair. Repair, Right. The CEL or the check engine light is definitely a get it in and repair it. Well, we actually do have a great explanation on a link at allaboutthecarpodcast.com in regards to the difference between the maintenance light and the check engine light. So make sure you visit that and get more of the dirty details on that. I don't want to make things more complicated here than they should be, but I've heard that certain things should be checked on a monthly basis, maybe annual basis, regardless of a schedule. Again, I'm not trying to muddy this up at all, but is there some validity to that? Yes, absolutely. How is the engine oil level? Is that okay? Is your windshield washer fluid getting low and you may need to put that in there to clean off the windshield so you don't end up with a safety issue. Are the wipers functioning correctly? Are they streaking? Are they going to be there when you're driving into the bright sunlight and it's difficult to see through all the bugs? Making sure all the lights are functioning, that's definitely a safety issue. The tires, the air pressure there, fortunately we got tire pressure monitoring systems now that will alert us if we need to put air in the tires. But how's the wear? Do we pick up a screw? So there's many different things that you can visually look at when you walk around the car. So I would see these things as more of an ongoing responsibility of an automobile owner, a car owner. You wouldn't want to wait for some of these things for that scheduled maintenance time mileage. Yeah, these are things that can pop up and leave you stranded. Kind of like with an airplane, you got to do a pre-flight inspection. Not a bad idea to walk around the car, make sure you don't have low tires, visually low, torn wiper blade, things like that. Something you should do on a regular basis. The other thing that comes up as I was doing my research is we're talking about the mechanics of the vehicle, the fluids, the wipers, all these types of functional mechanical things. But one thing, especially in Wisconsin, we shouldn't ignore is the outside of the vehicle too, the paint. A good coat of wax. A good rub down once a year might help to keep the rust away, the corrosion. Bill, is that what you got going on with your car? I would always walk around and look for the paint chips or whatever, especially at times you follow dumpster trucks and those stones make chips in the paint. And even just a little dab of paint, you can go to the automotive store or whatnot and get that in the little sample bottles and get it fixed up before you get that rust. There is still now more and more plastic, but I think there's still some metal that can rust on a vehicle. It's never a fun thing. It's a sad thing when you see a five-year-old car, let's say. that has a rust um, spot. There's rust starting to come through. Yeah, it's just not uh, good. I don't see any way around it here in Wisconsin, unfortunately, unless we all move out to Montana or something like that. Yeah. 
So we've talked a lot about maintenance, a lot of different things that should be maintained or inspected on a regular basis. And Brian, earlier in our conversation, you talked about some of the things that we can do ourselves. How much of this maintenance can we do ourselves at home? The actual oil change is not a problem if you have the equipment and the ability to get underneath the car. Safely. Safely, of course. (laughs) Some of the other things, transmission servicing, servicing the brake fluids, power steering fluid, some of that takes specialized equipment. A little tougher at home, but some of it can be done. And I think that's why it's always a good idea at times to at least, even if you're doing the regular oil change yourself, to eventually take it into a professional service center to have it looked over for all that maintenance that is going to be preventable from having a repair or breakdown. So get a professional eye on your car overall. Mm -hmm. And I agree. Getting it up on a hoist, getting it up in the air, you can definitely see it a lot better than you can crawling around on the ground. And believe me, I've crawled around on the ground enough <laughs> myself. Yeah, I've been down there too. I've been uh, soaked with transmission fluid head to toe trying to change the transmission in the yard. But yeah, that goes way back at this point. I'd hurt myself now. Let's take a left turn at the fork ahead and let's talk about road trip. We do this every time during our podcast and we talk about things you can go and see and travel to that are only in Wisconsin. And the one that really comes to mind that I've been to once, and I think we were talking about this earlier, many of us have, is the House on the Rock. And Bill, I think you've been there a couple times. Yes, twice. I've been there once. You've been there. Twice. Brian, twice. I've been there once, and I don't think I even saw it all. What were your thoughts on this House on the Rock? It is so interesting and just what a unique concept that as you read about it when you go that the vision of Alex Jordan who found this location built this house and just kind of built it into something way more special and unique than I think a lot of people would think of what you do with your life or what you do with your investments and there was a part when you realize that they make the statement that it's really not as much of a trip through something other than the wild imagination, the fantasies of Alex Jordan's mind. And I think that is really a true statement in itself. My family took me there a couple years ago for my birthday. And I had always heard about the house in the rock. And quite frankly, it didn't sound like anything really exciting. I thought, okay, I'm going to go through a house that's on a rock. Must be beautiful. It's <laughs> up on a ledge on a rock. And when you get there, there's so many trees and it's inset into this, the Wyoming Valley, the hillside, that you really can't see it all. You're not sure what to expect at that point. And oh, I tell you, it unfolds as you walk and walk through all the buildings, through the original house. And it's just absolutely amazing and all the collections that have been collected over the years. And that is one thing. Once you enter, there is no getting out really, except for emergency. And you just walk and walk and walk. It takes some time to go through, for sure. What were some of the things that stood out to you in your tour through the House on the Rock? I remember the large whale, or I think it's an imaginary creature hanging from the ceiling in one room. And then all the nautical displays around it with all the ships and submarines. and Doll collection. There's a doll collection. Remember a lot of doll's eyes in the dark. The carousel. Full-size carousel. Full-size carousel with... Hundreds and hundreds of different figures that go on this carousel are on it. On the actual carousel, there are no two animals that are the same. They're all different. Wow. 
And then there's the infinity room that where you walk out and it like kind of bounces. I mean, it's like, you know, now you go up to the Willis Tower and you get to go and you look off the glass block. But I think the infinity was the first one that I can ever imagine that I ever went to that had that kind of like you're walking out into space overhanging an empty valley below. So kind of scary. It was a little scary. (laughs) A little nerve wracking. Let's say nerve wracking. And I remember walking through almost like old towns down the streets with buildings and envision everything that we've talked about. And we're inside through this whole tour that could take more than a day. And beyond that, there is then also the rock in the house close oh, so we're by. flipping this upside down now and yes. it's a different destination and i've not been there but i mean it's in that same area isn't that's it? not the same thing no rock in the house is not house in the rock it's not as a matter of fact it's about 100 miles away from the house in the rock house in the rock is in what greenville right outside of dodgeville uh, right outside of dodgeville and the rock in the house that you're referring to bill is Fountain City, Wisconsin. So about 100 miles from each other. And the rock in the house, not many people know about this. No. But a rock, Brian, I think you actually, you and Uh, I were talking about this and you've been there. It's right along the Mississippi and the bluffs are, along the Mississippi are huge. They're five, six, seven hundred feet tall. And most of them are sandstone. And this huge rock, bigger than a dump truck, came rolling down the side of the bluff and ended up in this home. And well, 55 tons or something like that, just massive boulder. And it wasn't worth the cost to get it out of there and rebuild the house. So they actually turned it into a tourist site. How long ago did that happen? The actual rock fall into the house? I don't know. If I remember correctly, they had just got done remodeling that house, the couple that lived there. And at that point, just gave up on the whole idea when that rock fell through. And then somebody with a vision decided to buy it and make it into... A destination. And it's the second time that that area time. was a boulder came down on oh. top of that house. Oh, wow. I don't think I'd want to live around there. Yeah. But. So an interesting destination that you can go and see and nobody else at your workplace will probably have ever been at to the house with the rock. Yeah. Nobody's heard of the house in the rock or yeah. rock in the house. Rock in the, the house. Rock in the house. We'll get this right. We're not talking about Elvis Presley. No. So as we continue to uh, travel throughout Wisconsin during our podcast here, we're finding out there's a lot of different unique destinations that we only have here in Wisconsin. So if some listener out there thinks their community has an interesting destination, go to allaboutthecarpodcast.com and send us a message. Excellent. Excellent. I know the three of us would love to go check it out. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm ready. Let's refocus again and let's get back into the nitty gritty of routine maintenance on your vehicle. So we've talked about the different schedules and the importance of working with your vehicle and keeping it maintained. What are some of the benefits that I would receive by sticking to a maintenance schedule? The first I can think of is like from the standpoint of lack of inconvenience. So if I have a maintenance schedule, I can go and have my old change. I can do all the maintenance things on my schedule. If I have a breakdown or a repair that comes up, now that is something that is outside of my schedule and I have to deal with it, not usually on my timeline. So out of everything from a convenience of the use of a vehicle, I want to be able to schedule it and not have a breakdown that inconveniences me. So controlling your schedule from a Mm -hmm. convenience standpoint saves you time. Exactly. And money too. Usually maintenance is far less expensive than repair. Bill, earlier we were talking about the difference between maintenance and a breakdown. And we talked about 
if you decide to let it go until it breaks down, we could probably be entering a safety issue at that point. Uh, Let's just say if a tie rod breaks and your wheel goes the wrong way, things like that. So I would see safety as one of the benefits as well. 100%. What's something else, Brian, that we would benefit from sticking to a schedule? Cost is one of the biggest things. To be able to drive your car three, four, five hundred thousand miles is not unheard of at all. And the cost of ownership goes down significantly the longer you keep your car. And for me, it's nothing to put on three, four hundred thousand miles on a vehicle. And to trade it off all the time gets really expensive as the price of these automobiles get up to that fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars that you were talking about. Does performance play into this at all? In regards to what you expect out of your vehicle, if you were not to stick to a schedule and not stick with your maintenance, would the performance, and I'm not talking about a high-performance car going around corners, I'm talking about performance, quick starts, uh, just everything operating the way it was designed to operate when it was new. Does that play into this at all? No, absolutely. The car is going to do what you want it to do. The worst-case scenario that I talked about earlier with not changing your oil, it ruined the car and... They got 25,000 miles out of it instead of, even back then, 150,000 miles. So the cost of ownership just went through the roof. In a previous episode, we did talk about fuel efficiency with using air conditioning, for example. So fuel efficiency can change or be altered by the way that our vehicle's running or the way we use our car. So I remember that conversation about windows down, windows up. If we stick to a maintenance schedule... Does that help our fuel efficiency? It's probably hard to count. It'd be hard to pinpoint it. But yes, over the course of time, it will definitely have an impact on it because the engine isn't going to perform like it should to its optimal performance. And last but certainly not least in regards to the benefits that we'll receive by sticking to a maintenance schedule is you also then have the opportunity to maintain your car's value. So your trade-in value, if you will. If you decide that every five years you're going to trade it in or sell it and buy a different vehicle, you can get optimal price for your vehicle if you maintain it and show records and keep it in good shape and keep it waxed, quite frankly. The question has come up to me several times recently, are there certain types of cars that carry a lower annual cost to maintain? There are. There's lists out there. And your annual cost, if you stick with the maintenance schedule in your glove box, can range anywhere from $700 on up to $1,000 a year. And what coming back to Bill's point, that's staying in control of it and controlling your time and efficiency so you don't have breakdowns. So there's a lot of benefits to that. Might be a good question as I'm buying a vehicle to ask what is the average annual maintenance for repair and things. Oftentimes, we know how expensive these things are once we get into an accident, and all of a sudden, we have to replace something. That's the only time that I really think of like the cost of the vehicle, because the parts are really expensive based on manufacturer at times. Absolutely. It definitely makes sense to take good care of. So are any of these maintenance things required by a manufacturer to retain warranty? That's a good question, Bill. Yes, each one of the manufacturers have a maintenance schedule that has to be followed to continue to maintain the warranty. Many cars are two years, 24,000, three years, 36,000, five years, 50,000. So there's many different warranty intervals out there. Some may be the drivetrain only, some may be bumper to bumper, and that all varies. And the service has to be performed. 
But back in, I believe it was 1975, there was a law that was passed, the Moss Magnuson Act, that states that if a warranty is offered, that it's not required that you go back to the manufacturer of the vehicle. It's just required that the service gets performed at the correct interval. So, I mean, really, quite honestly, we were talking through this time, sort of like that maintenance is an option and a choice, but there's certain things that are not choices and that I really need to do these things to maintain a warranty if I've purchased a vehicle or even if it's a used vehicle and that there's some type of shortened warranty that may come with that vehicle. Yeah. Even your aftermarket warranties that you may purchase with a used car is going to have various mileage intervals or refer back to the owner's manual to maintain it to continue to offer the warranty coverage. And that again has to be performed but it doesn't necessarily have to be performed at that facility or by the equipment, the car manufacturer. Well, I'll take back that way back question that I started out with of like saying, oh, this is a choice of between maintenance and repair. Well, I guess there are certain things that, no, it's not a choice. Well, it could be a very expensive choice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it would be more of a choice than after the warranty of the vehicle's up. Is that yep, what I'm hearing? That is correct. Okay. We also have a link at allaboutthecarpodcast.com. Through the Federal Trade Commission of the Moss Magnuson Act, a lot of details. So check that out just so you're an informed driver. All right, that wraps up our scheduled or routine maintenance podcast. We went through a lot today. We went through a lot of information. We talked about the very early years of maintenance and what it means. We even brought up the YMCA, which is kind of crazy to hear that within our podcast. We also talked about what maintenance looks like today versus the old days and how things have changed. Also, the routine maintenance schedules, the different opinions and schedules that you can follow out there, the good and bad to each of them. But best thing to do is to stick to the owner's manual. And we also talked about the oh monthly checks, the annual checks that you should do regardless as a responsible vehicle driver and owner. And we took a side trip also to the House on the Rock and the Rock in the House, which was kind of crazy. It's kind of a flip-flop deal, but it was a good time. And we also talked about the benefits that you'll receive when you stick to a maintenance schedule. And we also talked about the type of maintenance that you need to stay with in order to keep your new car warranty intact. So right along with this next time, when we talk about dash warning lights, where it's all about the car. To listen to previous episodes, find additional resources, or to send us a message, head to allaboutthecarpodcast.com. We'll see you next time.